is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Catholic Review Radio is a weekly radio program and podcast hosted by Catholic Review Media, the news operation of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic partners for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to our listeners each week. Welcome to Catholic Review Radio. I'm George Matisek, Digital Editor for the Archdiocese of Baltimore and the Catholic Review. St. Therese of Lisieux was a French Carmelite nun who became known around the world after her spiritual autobiography was published following her death in 1897. Popularly known as the Little Flower, St. Therese embraced a simple spirituality she referred to as the Little Way. It encourages believers to see themselves as children of God, to trust in God with childlike simplicity, and to do the ordinary things of life with extraordinary love. St. Therese, who was proclaimed a doctor of the church by St. John Paul II, credited her parents, Saints Louis and Zélie Martin, for fostering a home filled with faith and love. Later in today's show, we'll speak with Gina Marine Tennant, author of a newly released children's book about St. Therese's parents. But first, we talk with Father Michael Orchik, longtime pastor of the Shrine of the Little Flower in Baltimore, about the little way of St. Therese. Father Michael Urchik, thanks so much for being here on Catholic Review Radio. Oh, that's just fine. You're most welcome, George. You have been the pastor of the Shrine of the Little Flower for 29 years now, and I know you've been preaching on the spirituality of St. Therese for all that time. What can you say about what the Little Way is all about? What is meant by the Little Way? Well, I recall um, when I first came here in March of 92, I had gone back to do a wedding at my former parish of St. Rose, a wedding that I had previously arranged. Talking to a woman at the reception, she commented on the fact she had heard I had been transferred to the Shrine of the Little Flower. And she said, you know, St. Teresa is my favorite saint. I named my daughter after her because she reminds me that no matter how ordinary my life may seem, as long as I do the duty God has given me to do as faithfully as I can, as well as I can, with as, much love, with as much love as I can give, then God is pleased by that. God is praised. And that that's really an inspiration to me, she said. And that's, that's what I admire so much. And to me, that that really sums up the little way, the little way of love. And uh, that's something that uh, I think is an inspiration to our people here at Little Flower. I think they can identify with that. Because most of us <laughs> do things that are considered rather ordinary, but when we do them with as much love as we can give them, then we, we can make Christ known and loved and lovable in the eyes of others. And is that what she meant by that, just doing things with great love? Is that what the little way is about? That's a big part of it. Certainly is doing it uh, with a lot of confidence in Christ that that he is going to work through her and that even when she fails, she can place her trust in him. He will always welcome her back and extend his mercy and his forgiveness to her as well. It, it has a lot to do with trust and having confidence in the Lord as well. That's part of the little way of love, too. And I know that um, in the ordinary moments of her life, she uh, would hear of uh, circumstances where people needed to know the love of God. She, she decided that in her life she wanted to have um, the opportunity to be loved in the midst of the church, which is her mother. She said, I will... She read St. Paul's letter about the greatest gifts in 
how he said charity or love is the greatest gift. And um, she said, I, that gives me my idea. I, I want to be love in the church. And so she she heard, for instance, about a man who was convicted of murdering two people very brutally. His name was Franzini. And um, he was totally unrepentant. And she heard about that, and she just wasn't satisfied with that. And so she decided to offer her prayers and her sufferings for him, that he would repent and be reconciled to God before he died. And she read in the newspaper later that on his way to his execution, there was a priest walking alongside him who was holding a crucifix. And she and the man asked, Franzini asked for that crucifix, and he reverently kissed it three times before he went to his death, and she was convinced that that was just a sign to her that he had given his heart to Christ. And that was Hmm. how she was loved to him. She got him to to know Christ's love for him, and hopefully he was returning that love uh, to Christ. And that's the kind of thing she wanted to do, uh, to be love and to to apply that in the circumstances of other people's lives as much as she could. Hmm. What kind of lessons can we draw from her? In, in her experience of the little way, and how can we apply the little way to our own lives? Well, I think uh, we need to see that ordinary moments in life uh, are opportunities to honor Christ and to, to love him. Um, in our life each day, we're with our family, we're, we're with friends, we're with fellow workers, and these encounters can be moments where we where we do the work of Christ. We need to see in each person someone who is obviously created in the image and likeness of God, redeemed by Christ, and hopefully with that awareness we can seek to represent him to those people. I know that here at Little Flower we get many people coming to us for financial assistance, and sometimes you're just not in the mood to deal with them and you have to remind yourself, you know, here's someone that uh, Christ loves very much, and I, I need to show the mercy and the love of Christ to this person, even though I don't feel up to it sometimes. And I think that uh, that's applying the the little way of love in, in an ordinary circumstance. And that's something we can all do. That's something that all people can identify with. I think that's why her little way of love is so popular, because people, most of us, do these ordinary things or have these opportunities to do ordinary things day by day and when we do them with that kind of uh, awareness that we're representing Christ then I think we help them to know and love him and we ourselves grow in our life with him in the process. I think a lot of people have the idea that in order to achieve holiness you have to do big great things but St. Therese is offering a different route to sanctity can you talk about that, about the having having that kind of childlike faith that she advocates? Sure. Um, she had uh, really a, a great confidence in Christ based on the fact that uh, in the midst of her growing up years, you know, she suffered some losses. She lost her mother, I believe, when she was five years old. It had a devastating effect on her. She was emotionally distraught, and she came to, through it all, to realize as she would gaze upon Christ on the crucifix. She would come to realize that he did that for her. He went through all that for her, and his love for her was so great that in her suffering, she could always turn to him. And and, and looking at it that way, she realized that when he came and offered himself 
and gave himself for her. He gave himself for everybody else, too. And uh, each and every person can take it personally, what Christ has, has done for us. Uh, he came for each one of us as though each of us had been the only one. And she came to realize that, and that made it, motivated her to uh, trust in his love for her and to want to bring an awareness of that to others as well. So uh, I think uh, that's had a, a tremendous part in making her so popular because people can people can identify with that. They they can come to realize that Christ is is so merciful, and uh, we can be motivated to return return great gratitude and appreciation to Him as she did. It sounds almost simple to live our lives in the way that St. Therese is prescribing, yet it, in reality it's it's really quite difficult. Why do you think that is? Well, I think it's difficult because I think <laughs> when you get down to it, life itself is difficult <laughs> mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. It has a lot of disappointments and, and a lot of sufferings, and uh, uh, I think that what we need to do in order to deal with that is to get to know the Lord Jesus better. She came to realize that he was the one who could comfort her and strengthen her and help her to overcome in, in the disappointments of her life. And I think we need to realize that, too. We need to seek him out more faithfully and more fervently through the sacraments, through prayer. One of the things that occurs to me is, is as I was referring to just a few minutes ago, to take the crucifix, to, to spend some time looking at the crucifix, to to just kind of meditate for a while on what he went through, the tremendous suffering he endured, and to realize that he did that for each and every one of us, that uh, each of us can take that personally. And when we approach it that way, then it can help us realize that, um, indeed, we are loved, we can live the little way, um, his love is great for us. His mercy is great for us. And however difficult life may be, he will always give us the grace. If we come before him, as I believe she did, as kind of a spiritual beggar, she she admired people like John of the Cross and uh, St. Teresa of Avila, the, the great giants of the Carmelite order. But she said, uh, I can't be like them. She said, I'm just a little flower. All I can do is, is hold my arms up in the air and ask the Lord Jesus to pick me up and draw me to himself. And uh, when life is difficult, that's that's what she would do. She would just entrust herself to him as kind of a spiritual beggar. And what, what happens is when we have that attitude, that humble attitude of of being poor in spirit, really needing the Lord and being conscious of it, then he works through us and his mercy can work through us into the lives of others. We can be a a channel by which his his mercy comes to others because we're we're open we're we're beggars with with open hearts ready to receive what he wants to give and to pass it on to others so uh, i think that uh, that's what i would uh, recommend that we through the sacraments through prayer through reflection on the lord's suffering on our behalf that we come before him with confidence and allow ourselves to be channels of his mercy to others. Well, Father Michael Orchick, pastor of Shrine of the Little Flower in Baltimore, thanks again for being here on Catholic Review Radio. Uh, You're welcome, George. Thank you very much. 
We're going to take a little break, and when we come back, we'll speak to Gina Marie Tennant, author of Louis and Zelie, The Holy Parents of St. Therese. I'm George Matisak. You're listening to Catholic Review Radio. We'll be back in a moment. Catholic News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. Mercy Sister Carol Wheeler, who, as its longtime leader, modernized North Baltimore's Mercy High School with an emphasis on medicine, science, and the arts, died May 15th at Stella Maris in Timonium. She was 84. A formidable scholar with master's degrees from Georgetown and the University of Chicago, Sister Carol taught philosophy in addition to leading the school for more than three decades. Sister Carol believed in the potential of young women and worked at Mercy to prepare young girls for careers that were once seen as male-only. During her tenure, Sister Carol developed the Women in Medicine program in partnership with Mercy Medical Center, a four-year program where students are given access to the hospital and the expertise of its staff. She also spearheaded the construction of the Harry and Jeanette Weinberg Auditorium, which strengthened the school's already respected arts program. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. Parishioners of St. Stephen in Bradshaw gathered to say goodbye to the Sisters of St. Francis of Philadelphia at an emotional outdoor mass May 16th. The five sisters, now living in the convent, are the last from the order stationed at the parish, which has ministered there since 1931. As St. Stephen prepares for new construction to serve its growing congregation, the sisters are moving to new quarters off campus in July. The sisters, as well as five other Franciscan sisters, most of whom served at the parish, arrived in two golf carts adorned with red hearts. The congregation rose to applaud amidst a rousing organ melody played by music director Rob Hutt. Father Joshua Laws, pastor of the Catholic Community of South Baltimore and an alumnus of St. Stephen's School, said in his homily that the sisters have shared the spirit of St. Francis of Assisi. Quote, we will commit to keeping that spirit alive in our hearts, our families, and our community, he said. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. From the virtual newsroom of the Catholic Review, I'm Kevin Parks. Perpetual Adoration is coming to Baltimore for the first time ever. On May 31st, the Basilica of the Assumption, America's first Catholic cathedral, will begin 24-7 Eucharistic adoration if the cathedral can get enough adorers to commit to praying day and night. Will you sign up for one hour and keep watch with the Lord? Will you pray for our country and for our church? To learn more, visit americasfirstcathedral.org slash adoration. That's A-M-E-R-I-C-A-S firstcathedral.org slash adoration. This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Welcome back to Catholic Review Radio. I'm George Matisek. Louis and Zaylee Martin, the parents of St. Therese of Lisieux, were canonized by Pope Francis in 2015, the first married couple ever canonized together by the Catholic Church. Saints Louis and Zaylee had nine children, five of whom lived to adulthood and became religious sisters. Gina Marie Tennant, a parishioner of St. Jane Francis de Chantal in Bethesda and an organist at St. Peter in Olney, has written a new children's book published by Ignatius Press called Louis and Zaylee, The Holy Parents of St. Therese. We recently spoke with her about her new book and the lives of this holy couple. Gina Marie Tennant, thanks so much for being here on Catholic Review Radio. Thank you very much for having me. The story of how Louis and Zaylee met 
is really quite fascinating. It's really a lovely story. It, it happened on a bridge, almost like in a fairy tale. And I think you covered it really beautifully in your book. Could you tell our listeners how these two deeply religious people met? Uh, Louis was a watchmaker and Zaylee was a lace maker. And how did they come together? Well, one April day, they were both crossing a bridge opposite directions in that town. And they saw each other. Neither of them were really thinking about marriage at all. Zaley had this intuition as she walked past this man that God was telling her, this is the man for you, which is, you know, a little bit undone, whatever, but <laughs> she continues on, and then, you know, she stops and looks at him, and he's continued on. She doesn't know what he thinks about this, and if, does he have any intuition about for her? So then it turned out that she knew his mom, from lace making and so his mom is the one who arranged a meeting which neither of them really realized his mom had already thought that these two would be good together <laughs> that is how they originally met and then they had a very quick courtship and within three months they were got married how did that come about so quickly especially considering that they both had been considering religious vocations when they were younger i I guess they just both knew they were meant for each other, so they were not going to, you know, halt and wait. They knew what they were supposed to do. They would do it. Also, Zaley was at a situation in life where she was very close to her older sister, Elise, who had just joined the visitation order. And at home, Zaley was rather miserable. She had her own company, but she did not get along well with her mom and so she really wanted to actually move out in life. And so this was like, ah, here's the man for me, and I'm ready to go. Even though once she got married, she wasn't exactly ready for the marriage life, <laughs> which didn't really, I didn't really cover in my book much. But, yeah, she was ready to move out, let's say that much. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the marriage itself was at midnight, which was a tradition back then in 19th yes. century France. So... In France, at that time period, they did not acknowledge religious marriages. So you would have to have a civil marriage and then a religious marriage. And in their area, it was a custom to have the marriage at midnight that's because it would be part of a mass, and then they you know, would receive Holy Communion, and there wouldn't really be a fast or any of that. Plus, they put their civil marriage at 10 p.m., they literally went from the civil marriage to the religious marriage. They wanted to really connect these two and, you know, make it as much as one as they could. Mm-hmm. And Louis actually had a special medallion made for his wife. Could you tell us about that? Yes. So besides giving a, having the wedding wings, there was a custom to give a medallion for the groom to give it to his bride, and it was something to symbolize them and their marriage, you might say, and kind of what they saw as, you know, what their goal is in life, whatever the idea. And so Lewis took the book of Tobit and he made this beautiful medallion of Tobias and Sarah. Um, they're like running to each other, greeting each other. It's just real. It's romantic, the time period, but it's just it's a really beautiful expression of how eager he is to have his bride. And there's a lot of little details in it which related well to them, 
like Louis liked dogs and the dog in it. <laughs> and mm-hmm. this is not a foliage. Louis actually drew it, and then somebody else actually made the thing. But it's Louis's drawing, and that I didn't. The epilogue that I drew a picture based on the medallion. So that's the picture for the epilogue in the book. And the medallion still exists. Yes, yes, I've seen mm-hmm. many pictures of it. Well, Louis and Zaylee ultimately had nine children, and five of them went on to become religious sisters, probably the most famous of them being St. Therese, the little flower. What kind of parents were Louis and Zaylee, and how did they their home foster religious locations? God was totally a part of their lives. Everything they did, they they did everything for God, and that was carried on to their children. They made sure their children got as good of a Catholic education as they could. So the older two girls got their education at the Visitation Monastery in Le Mans, and they that also helped cultivate uh, religious fervor. From very early on, Pauline, their second eldest daughter, seemed like she was drawn to the religious life, Marie was definitely, her mom couldn't figure out what she was going to do in life. <laughs> and Marie definitely didn't either. And they, she was not interested in religious life at all, and that was fine. They were not going to push their children into something, you know, whatever the child, whatever God wanted their child to be, that was what they wanted. Yes, early on in life they'd had dreams, like for the first son, they so hoped to someday become a priest, and in the end, the son died as a baby. So they found out that was not God's will. <laughs> and as they, time went on, they got a lot more like, okay, yes, whatever God's will is, we aren't going to push anything on our children. They do not have to follow our dreams whatsoever. So it was very much, you know, what God's will is, you, you're not pushed into anything, whatever. It just happened that, like, Pauline wanted to become a religious sister. Leonie really wanted to, even though she was, her temperament was, like, far from that idea. But she had possibly the earliest wanted to become a religious sister, like their aunt Elise was. And in the end, she also did become a visitation um, sister, but that was a long, <laughs> drawn-out experience for Leonie. So I think they just they gave this rich, religious, Catholic um, upbringing to the children, and it just kind of ended up they all wanting to give their all to God. And... For them, it all happened to become being religious, um, religious life. However, for them, Louis and Zaley, it had been through the marriage life, and they were also open. If you know the children never married, never entered religious, that was fine. Kind of what they had thought Marie would probably do in life, because she was not interested in marriage or religious life. They figured it was fine. Should just you know live a single life, and that would be beautiful too. But in the end, that was not what God intended, and Marie also became a Carmelite as well as three of her sisters, Celine, Therese, and Pauline. Could you talk about the research that went into writing this book? I know you did a lot of reading, but you also did a lot of hands-on work itself. Can you tell us about that? Yes. So I felt like I really needed to know what I was describing. So I learned to make some basic alo solace, and I assembled a clock to understand how the gears worked and the springs and the pendulum and all these things. And then I wrote about that. I also, Zaley wrote over 200 letters that were preserved by her family. So I that was one of my main sources. 
same as um, Louis' letters, which were not that many, only 16, but I used those and the other family members' um, letters and correspondence and the story of a soul. So I really just totally immersed myself in them and their lives and what they did. Why do you think this story has a special appeal to children? Well, first of all, St. Therese is very popular for children and adults children feel like they can relate to her so it's really interesting finding out like oh this is how you know what this is what her family was like and becoming friends of her big sisters and everything but also becoming friends of her parents and the book starts off when Louis and Zalia are both children and you know they grow up just like children know they are growing up too so it's really something that children can be like okay you know they also encounter like what am I going to do in life um even having to, like, family, you know, learning to try to get along with your family and all that, and then seeing how Louie and Zaley were parents. And that is also very interesting, I think, for children. can even be an eye-opener while being like, ah, oh, I'm friends with Louie and Zaley. I've seen them from childhood. They're, you know, fun <laughs> people. I like them. We have a, about a minute left. What do you think Louie and Zaley teach us about holiness and, and what it means to be holy? I think they are excellent examples of the ordinary call to holiness. It was through their life that they encountered God. It was They didn't have to do anything special. It was just their daily life, and that glorified God. And that is the same for us. We do not have to leave the world to find God. He wants to meet us where we are. It should hopefully be a real eye-opener, I hope, for children to realize, and for adults, that you know, they also are called to be saints. doesn't mean they canonize saints, but... That's something, you know, for us all to be like, okay, these are great models for us. But, you know, we are supposed to live totally for God and trust in his mercy and do our very best to love God and do his will. So it's, yeah, the great models. Well, Gina Marie Tennant, author of Louis and Zaylee, The Holy Parents of St. Therese, thanks so much for being here on Catholic Review Radio. Thank you very much for having me. For Catholic Review Radio, I'm George Matisek. Thanks for listening. The Catholic Review is the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the Catholic Church full-time. Pick up the monthly magazine at your parish or have it delivered to your home. Subscribe to our e-newsletter for twice-weekly updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Read it today in print or online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. Tune in to Catholic Review Radio next week. Available on WMET 1160 AM and 103.1 FM. Also, WSJF 92.7 FM in the Sykesville area and WVTO 92.7 FM in Baltimore City. Check us out on SoundCloud or your favorite podcast app. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Review Radio. As we prepare for the week ahead... Let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, 
Pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May Almighty God bless us and keep us always in his love.